Yes, sir, we promised you a great man. Nick cut it um at the end of the day this man is always going to be on my mount rushmore and there he is stone cold steve austin how are you steve well now that i got all the technology problems behind me i'm doing just fine how are you i think you did pretty good man i'm hanging in there how's this um how's the last couple of weeks been are you in la uh yeah right now we're here in los angeles and uh we've been maintaining our distance from everybody just kind of minding our own business going to the grocery store only when we need to so it's a very strange time, but you know we're working through it just like anybody else is. Now, I I I, I assume for a second that maybe you would have gone to the ranch in Texas. Why be in L.A. right now as opposed to back on the ranch? Well, we we sold that place in Texas a couple of years ago. We have a place in Nevada, and uh, I just figured you know we just kind of sit tight, see what's uh, going on, and uh, just kind of weigh out everything and see what happens. Um. All right. So listen, obviously we're here as a distraction for people. We don't need to talk about how crazy it is. I hope everyone's being safe. I hope everyone's staying at home. I've been on my Instagram, Rosenberg Radio, yelling at my neighbors who are going to Riverside Park all day like it's like it's a day to just hang out. I really think people need to hold back and stay in the houses as much as humanly possible. Um, but Steve, the, 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 the WrestleMania is moving forward. The show goes on. First of all, is there anything more Vince McMahon to you than the show going on? Does this surprise you, or did you think Vince McMahon would move forward and have WrestleMania? You know, I didn't know what to think. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was down there in Tampa at the Performance Center, you know, working in front of that empty uh, in, in that empty building, and uh, you know, that's that's Vince's mentality. The show must go on. You know, way back in Kansas City, you know, when uh, got you know Owen fell to his death, and the show went on. I mean, so it's just that's his mentality. And uh, God rest his soul. But you know, uh, it's tough. You know, those was guys it hard for you? There, was it hard being? You never done that before. What was that like? Well, I've worked in front of some I've worked in front of some empty buildings before, <laughs> but not intentionally. <laughs> but it so it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't because it was everything was quarantined. Uh, <laughs> because there wasn't nobody there, and that's when you really learn how to work the people. Uh, so you're trying you're trying desperately anything you can. I was strange, you know. To do something like that, I, I really kind of just wanted to go out there and do like a sit-down interview with, with Byron or Jerry Lawler and talk about actually what 316 meant to me, you know, so many years ago, cutting that promo in 96, winning King of the Ring. And all these years later, you know, we didn't have social media. I think Twitter was created in 06, uh, Instagram in 2010 or something like that. So all these years later, that the WWE Universe still, you know, made 316, you know, official, you know, Austin 316 day, unheard of. But that's due to social media. So I wouldn't talk about the impact of, you know, the, the resonation with the fans on that 
and just give people something to, to, to think about and talk about. And, but, you know, we did what we did and, and that was their creative. So it was what it was, but, uh, but it was, it was hard to your point. It was, yeah, it's, it's gotta be challenging. I mean, I'll tell you this, when you think about WrestleMania and, uh, by the way, it's, it's airing April 4th and 5th on the WWE network, two days. Um, I think who I'm most bummed out for is, is Drew McIntyre. I think Drew McIntyre really has this really, this exciting opportunity to get the shot with Brock Lesnar. And in this spot where he's this huge underdog against Brock, it just seems like that story is one that's easier told in front of a crowd full of fans, no? Well, yeah, you're right. And, and you know, like, you know, as a fan, of course, uh, obviously you would feel that way. And I know how important it is, you know, being in, you know, in spots like that. But man, if you're one of those people on the card, you're only thinking about yourself and the totality of the team. But, you know, wh- whoever else is on the card, and, and I know that the, the entire card, and it's a very good card. It's too bad it's not in front of 70,000 people at Raymond James Stadium. But anyway, uh, so you're not thinking about uh, Brock or Drew. You're thinking about you and what you're going to do in your match and your moment, your time to do whatever. But, yeah, as a fan, absolutely. You know, the, the kid's been slugging it out, you know, and paying his dues and just keep kind of uh, uh, reinventing himself. So, yeah, man, it, it'd be nice to see him have his moment when, you know, the whole world is supposed to be watching it. And hopefully, you know, as many people will tune in uh, to the WWE Network, you know, and while they're streaming it. But there's nothing like being in front of 70,000 or whatever the house is for that emotion to work that crowd and take them on that ride, on that ride because, you know, that's how you're making your decisions out there. Now, speaking of that, um, 21 years ago today, uh, you and Rock did it for the first time. You guys got together at WrestleMania 21 years ago today. Um, well, first of all, the first one uh, of that trilogy, uh, 15, 17, and 19, um, which one was the most was the most meaningful? Of course, we all picture, if you're a super fan like me, we all picture at the end of 19, and we know that was a rough time for you physically, that moment when Rock stands, uh, kneels over you and whispers in your ear and you guys share those personal words, we'll always remember that. It gives, gives me goosebumps just talking about it. But of the three, what was the most meaningful and what was that first one at 15 like? Well, 15 was, was a good match. And of course, me and Rock had uh, instant chemistry. We both loved working with each other and got along like gangbusters, you know, in the ring, out of the ring, you know, everywhere. So the 15 was really cool and uh, for Jim Ross to call that match. But, you know, I was mad at 15 because, hell, I was going through a hell of a divorce and forgot my damn ring vest. And so I'd walk to the ring in a T-shirt. And you never want to walk to the ring in a T-shirt when it's WrestleMania and you want to look like a million bucks in full gimmick. You know, you're not trying to sell a T-shirt. You're trying to, you know, put on a show. So that sucked ass on, on that standpoint. Now, 17 was great because at the Houston Astrodome, you know, I've seen rodeos there i've been uh, to, you know all kinds of sporting events there as a kid because i grew up 100 miles from that building and so to go there and to do that that great build up with the rock and you know with jim ross you know we did that sit down conversation in the locker room uh that 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 pre-match package you know that bill package they put together has never been duplicated with that limp biscuit song it was just off the charts to set a, a attendance record at wrestlemania and take the crowd on that ride and remember 17 was a hell of a show and the Dudleys, the Hardys, uh, Edge and Christian, those guys got off in like a TLC match or a ladder match, whatever it was. I mean, it was just a lights-out match. And to be the main and to be able to go out there and have that kind of match between two of the hottest guys that were on planet Earth in the wrestling business 
was really, really cool. And I'll never forget, we, you know, we went out, we, we had a steak the night before that match. I had a couple of uh, glasses of wine and uh, we just had a short conversation about it. And then we rocked it the next night, just from, from start to finish. And I was feeling piss and vinegar when, when I was walking down that ramp and that was a long ass walk walk to that to that ring my brother was on the front row he was sitting right next to the rock's mother and again of course you know my brother cusses a lot like me (laughs) and of course he was cheering for me and of course rock's mother was cheering for rock and so they they got into a little bit of an an exchange but it, it was all good but that's how emotionally invested everybody was you know the families and then to go to 19 in seattle where i damn near didn't make that match and uh, I never really got medically cleared to do that match. But, hey, man, it was my time to do the favors for The Rock, and I wasn't going to miss that match because, hey, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, I, I, I worked hurt, and uh, whatever the case may be, I mean, you'd have to chain me up to a bulldozer and drag me the other way to, to keep me from that ring. And that was an emotional day. And, uh, uh, man, I, I damn near got teared up several times during the day because I knew I was riding off in the sunset. And it was all said and done, you know, it was kind of like someone lifted a big-ass weight off my shoulder. Me and Rock had a little conversation there in the, in the ring, and then, uh, then it was over. But they were all special in their own rights. <sighs> oh, man, it's uh, it's when you think about – I really do think when you picture the all-time greats, you know, you and Rocky will always be linked in that way. You know, the hit, And it's not just those three WrestleMania matches. The stories went beyond that. But that trilogy is so iconic. You mentioned having dinner with him and a glass of wine, talking things over a little bit. Of course, when people, you guys all work differently. And to me, what's, what's the most fascinating thing about covering this business, but not being a true insider and understanding it, is I don't understand how you guys do what you do when you get in the squared circle. I don't understand how you're able to make poetry in motion without working everything out. Now, we, we know that Savage supposedly drove Steamboat crazy laying out that match at WrestleMania 3. And that is not how you and Rocky work. So, you really don't have to talk about it much at all. You talk about the big spots, the finish, that's it, and then you just go? Man, you really, you know, if you can see my finger, so if, say, that match lasted 30 minutes, and here's zero and here's 30 on, on my little finger, and we might we, we might remember five points in that match, but the rest of the points in between my fingers were the gaps that we filled in, you know, on the fly because – Man, a lot of people can remember a lot of things. And when you do something over and over again, you get used to that system. Hey, man, you know, it, it was a little bit different back then. And so if you watch that, if you watch that back and when you watch any one of those matches back, you're rarely going to see a call uh, because they're all, they're all most all being protected. But there, there's stuff in there. If, if I'm bending them, I'm, I'm head down or whatever. Most time I'm calling those matches and Rock will chip in too. But we're calling stuff and we're communicating, but and we're we're listening to that crowd, Mister. That's uh, uh, one thing that, we, that well, many things about the Rock and I were similar. But his ability and my ability to feed and understand exactly what that crowd wanted, we were on, on the exact same page, on the exact same word all of the time. Now, by the way, we're talking about WrestleMania, and tomorrow on ESPN, we are re-airing another classic WrestleMania that Stone Cold was at also in Dallas, WrestleMania 32, 7 p.m. tomorrow on ESPN, and then next Sunday at 3 p.m. to get you ready for WrestleMania, we're going to be airing WrestleMania 35 also, 3 p.m. next Sunday. So we're reliving these classic uh, Mania moments, and it's funny that we were just talking about how you guys worked off the crowd 
But that's not going to be an option that Edge and Randy Orton have, for example, at WrestleMania. Now, that is one match, I think, Steve, that could maybe be the thing that when this whole thing passes, we talk about that's the match that defines this WrestleMania. Because I could see those two guys, instead of it being a liability, I could see veterans like that finding a way to make it even more special. Is that possible with Edge and Randy? Man, I don't know, because you, you, when you talk about Randy, you're talking about a guy who's so crafted in the ring and so good at everything. And then you look at the emotional return of Edge. You know, I was just talking to him, you know, at length the other day. And, you know, all of a sudden he just started feeling better and started, you know, thinking about things. And all of a sudden, you know, when I saw him make that, I asked him point blank. I said, dude, I said, how was that response when you walked out at the Rumble? And he just lit up like a Christmas tree. And he just, I, I knew exactly what he felt. <laughs> and it just blew his mind. And boy, when you get that kind of response, I mean, Peter, there's nothing like it in the world. And he got it. And he, I mean, he got many great pops, but he'd been gone so long, defying all the odds. What are the chances? And here he comes. So like in talking about Drew McIntyre and his moment, here you got Edge making this He's already made this comeback, and now he's working with, you know, with a, a great, great worker and Randy Orton. And, you know, that crowd would really be behind Edge, you know, if they were there, but they're not going to be there. And I know they're going to tell a hell of a story because they're both outstanding workers. So it would be a it'll be an, it'll probably be an instant classic to a symphony of silence. That That's what I'm hoping we get from them. And I, I just know that for some of the young guys, there's no doubt about it, this is going to be challenging. Now, there are some guys who maybe who are younger who more recently worked in front of a basically empty building. So maybe there's an advantage for some of those cats who are a little bit younger. But for the guys who came up through NXT and that's where they got the bulk of their experience, Steve, that's not the same thing that you went through. And a lot of the guys who have been there for a long time, um, you know, who have worked in empty buildings before. Coming through NXT, it's a small building, but it's packed every time you work. Well, and, and that that's, uh, you know, when you got a packed house like that and they're very passionate, that's an intimate crowd. And you love that kind of feeling. And sometimes, you know, like for the guys that are just fresh out of any kind of like learning or e even myself going back to the days of Chris Adams wrestling school, you know, if you're just wrestling in front of an empty building, that's nothing but a thing because that's all you're used to. Then you go out there and you're in front of 70,000 people and guys or the gals, maybe they're not really that over. So you're working to a, a, a different kind of silence, but silence nonetheless, because they're not really invested, you know, and maybe in the storyline, maybe in either character. So that, that can be, you know, each one is can be disconcerting or a lifesaver by the same token. Um, let's go back to your career a bit. I was having the conversation this week on Cheap Heat, uh, the Cheap Heat podcast, which you can get wherever you get all your ESPN podcasts. And, of course, Steve's incredible prop podcast, um, which you can find wherever you get podcasts as well. Um, but we were talking about the Mount Rushmores. Um, and I'm curious um, to what yours is. And I also have a couple of questions about – uh, maybe some modern talent, but but first, when you're forced to choose four on a Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling, who do you put up there? I won't pick one, man. That's you know, I, I was one of those guys that was in the ring, and if people got me on theirs, that's cool. If they don't, you know, that's cool too. But I won't build one. I let other people do the Rushmores. 
Um, did you have as a kid? Who were the top few that? You, and I've heard you say this before, but for people who haven't been here before and haven't heard you, who were the few that you really admired coming up that were certainly on Steve Austin, the kids, Mount Rushmore? Well, you know, just the, the two I will give you. You got to have Hogan. You got to have Flair. I'll stop right there because, you know, those are the two that if you're building a Mount Rushmore, those are two that you got to have. And I won't say any more than okay, that. That's fair. You know what? I'll take two from you. So we have two guaranteed. Yeah. The other two are too controversial to fill in. And you're right because there's no way feelings don't get hurt if you name the next two. But everyone can accept Nate and Hogan. You're damn right. Hogan Flair or Flair Hogan. There's not a one-two. There's not a two-one. That, that's just the two guys that are on it. Uh, you had Bret Hart the other day uh, from the Broken Skull Ranch. You can watch it on the WWE Network. Great interview. Um, was he absolutely as smooth and easy a guy to work with as you ever worked with in your career? Man, Brett and I had such a crazy chemistry as well for some reason and so much, you know, a lot of people have chemistry uh, and a lot of people have respect for each other and you're trusting another guy with your body at all times. Uh, yeah, Brett... Brett was awesome. Uh, Steamboat, you know, Steamboat was a guy that, God dang, man, he filled in all the gaps. Uh, But, yeah, Bret Hart was, he was very, very special. He's one of my favorites of all time to work with, one of my favorites of all time to watch. Uh, I love the stories that he told. He put a lot of detail and a lot of thinking into them. And, And Brett was a wrestler's wrestler. He was like an artist out there painting a picture on canvas. And we're, we're all artists in a way, you know. Some of us are very sloppy or very violent, but I thought Brett was very meticulous in his detail to orchestrating and building a match, and I thought he was a master of the craft. At what point were you um, at your lowest mentally on your ascent? Because now, Steve, we almost take for granted, you know, Steve Austin's one of the greatest of all time. He had a, you know, your career is just looked at almost like perfection. That That's not really the full story. You know, your story from WCW to uh, eventually becoming the taskmaster. There, there's a lot of rough spots there where I'm sure, knowing the kind of competitor you are, um, it must have been difficult and you must have had doubts. At what stage were you in that was the hardest, where it became the hardest to see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel? Probably going into, you, you said Taskmaster was a ringmaster. Oh, sorry, same, sorry, same sorry. Difference. That's horrible by me. Gimmick. <laughs> no, no, no big deal. Well, you know, I, I, I had, uh, you know, come through Dallas, got to the USWA, was riding with some really good guys in Dutch Mantel, guys were dropping a lot of knowledge on me, gorgeous Gary Young. I uh, got into WCW, was fine in my groove. I was, you know, respected amongst my peers as a good guy, a good worker in the ring, but I wasn't a superstar yet. But then I kind of started finding my identity, and I tore, I tore my tricep in Japan, and I'm I'm at, I'm at home. Paulie gives me a call. I go to ECW. You know, I cut one promo, really. I mean, I did some skits, but I cut one promo. Paulie was kind of starting to dial me in. I got the call to go to New York. And when I got the call to go to New York, and I answered that phone, and Vince told me about, about the ringmaster gimmick, and I got up there, and I was a ringmaster. Peter, when you're the ringmaster, and you've been stunning Steve for about four or five years and you're pretty damn good mechanic and you can go pretty damn good and all of a sudden you don't have that anymore you're the ringmaster you don't know who you are 
you're in a, you're the stranger in a strange land and you don't have anything to base your existence on. And so that was the hardest time, I think, when I was the ringmaster. And that's why after six months or however long it was, I said, hey, man, I can't do this anymore because I got bigger plans for myself and I got a better gimmick. And, you know, come up with that idea and pitched it to them. And, you know, then the story was told from then on when I became Stone Cold from Victoria, Texas. But the ringmaster was a period when I was lost, when I watched myself you know, kind of going to the ring. I'm like, who is that guy? And Peter, when you walk out in front of a crowd and God dang, you know, the territory is kind of down, but man, you're walking out there and you're just like rolling the dice and you keep coming up with nothing. You know, there's nothing, there's no, there's no pizzazz there. And so you got to kind of just turn into buzzsaw mode and just try to get yourself over and, you know, doing the best you can. And ain't like creative was really helping me back then. So that was the hardest time. Well, and I guess I've had Kevin Sullivan on my mind too much this week and, and said uh, Taskmaster instead of Ringmaster. But either way, was there any regret from you when you're going, all right, I just cut this promo with Paul at ECW. They, they are so hot at the time. Was there any regret about not getting to really perform there or was there not even any hesitation because you get the call from Vince, it's just time to move on and not worry about it? Man, it was time to, to move on because, you know, and of course, I was just talking to Paul E down there in Florida the other day, but and we're very, very close. But hey, man, everybody knew that you know you're going down there. You know they're their main roster, and those guys are going to stay there for a little bit. But you know, if a guy like me, you know, get, was going to get a call to go to New York, man, I had I had a wife and I had a house payment and, and all that other stuff, bills coming in the mail, just like everybody else. So I needed to go to the place where I could make the most money, and that was New York. Uh, that's what we called it, the WWF at the time. So yeah, man. Working one night a week uh, doesn't doesn't really cut it. Uh, if I could have stayed down there for you know six, eight, nine months, who who knows what we could have done? You know, a year or two. There's all kinds of stuff we could have done, but you know, you're in business to make the money, and and really, when you're in the trenches, even when we were in WCW, and we were battling, you know, w, WWF at the time. You know, it wasn't a Monday night war, but it was a war. And we, we kind of felt like we were putting on like a better wrestling product. But when you get the call, you knew that the WWE, you know, then F was the show. It was the big show. I, I want to ask you, before I let you go, I want to ask you about working with Vince McMahon. Uh, and I mean as a wrestler. Because um, you guys together, I mean, as much as we picture you in The Rock, someone can easily make the argument that the the story – the relationship that defined your career is, is you versus Vince McMahon. That is a totally fair assessment, I think, for a fan to make. When you guys worked together, um, what was it like, him him learning to wrestle at that time? How much did you walk him through things? How much did he lean to you? Because um, that's got to be an interesting relationship. He's the complete and total boss, but he was a novice in the ring, and he had to follow your lead. How did that working relationship go? Well, because, you know, working with a guy like Vince, who wasn't, you know, the years in the business from, from a performance standpoint, you know, entering talent, he was the guy that knows everything because from the ground up, from when he started to where he's at now, he was that guy. So those matches are kind of put together in a fashion where, you know, you kind of know what's up. So we're on the same page, you know, pretty much 99% of the time. There might be an ad lib or something put in there, but, you know, you kind of know what's going on. From a mechanic standpoint, you know, Vince is pretty awkward. 
And, you know, he's jacked up. He's strong. Uh, The stuff he does in the ring, everything feels pretty good. He'll sling you. When he's going to throw you, he's going to throw your ass. You know, uh, but but he's kind of clumsy. But the thing I love about working with Vince was his character was so over. As a heel, he was so he that guy is a natural born performer. He's probably the greatest promoter that the sporting world or sports entertainment, whatever boxing has ever known. But as a worker, as a performer, he knows how to work a crowd like you know, like like uh, God dang, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Ricky Morton because I'm a huge Ricky Morton mm-hmm. fan, and of course Ricky's the consummate white meat babyface, but. Uh, what a great work and a, uh, what a great feeler of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like a Hogan. Hogan's a great worker of the crowd. Vince can read a crowd, and he plays that crowd, and he just loves to be as a heel. He would love to be hated so much. And, of course, I was so over as a babyface. It magnified what I did magnified what he did, and, and what he did magnified what I did. So just great chemistry and always pretty much always on the same page. And that was the kind of stuff that transcended the wrestling business and turned into water cooler talk. Even the people that didn't watch wrestling started watching wrestling because this was a story where they could live vicariously through the actions of a guy named Stone Cold Steve Austin, this bald, pissed off uh, guy from South Texas, and his boss has been trying to screw him every which way. And damn near every Monday night, you know, Stone Cold is telling his boss what's up. And there's always that exchange of, Hey, okay, what are we doing this time? Is it time to get more heat on Stone Cold, or does he need to get a little bit back on Mr. McMahon? So we, we rode that lightning boat for, you know, close to two years. And I agree with you, that feud, and I've had some great ones, but that one transcended the business. And, yes, ultimately I think it did kind of define or make my career, however you would say it, but I loved feuding with Vince McMahon, and I learned so much from uh, – not just working with him, but uh, I think he learned a lot from me. But uh, just from working for him, I- I've learned so much about life and everything else. I-, I got I got a lot of respect for the guy. Last thing on Vince, do you think that him and Shane? I always made up in my head that Vince and Shane um, sort of had a chip on their shoulder, uh, um, the need to prove to you guys because it's their company that they were willing to do whatever it took. Is that true? And was it effective? I mean, when you see, when you see the bumps Vince, Vince took with you where he goes off the cage flying through the table or all the things Shane did, you look at the King of the Ring match versus Kurt Angle, maybe one of the toughest, most brutal matches anyone's ever had in this business. I always felt like it was such an honorable thing that Shane and Vince McMahon were going to show you guys, we will do everything you guys do. Is that what they were doing and was it effective with the talent? I can't say if that's what they were doing, you know, only they could, but you know, I've always said about Vince, you know, he will, you know, he won't ask anybody to do anything that he would not do himself. And man, if it, if it's coming down to trying to entertain a crowd, whether it's at live house or, you know, the the millions of people watching worldwide, man, he's going to go to the end of the world to make sure they get every single penny's worth out of that pay-per-view or off that viewing on that brand new TV they just bought. He's trying to give it to you. Same thing with Shane. He's got the same same mentality. And I don't know if they were out to, out to prove a point. I just think they're very, very hungry about the business and very passionate about the business. And it is a love. And it damn near 
you know, all the boys, and now, now the, the girls, the women too, when I say boys, I mean everybody, the men and the women, man, I can't explain it sometimes. When I start talking about the business, I get very excited, but man, when, when you establish a deep relationship with a crowd, you'll damn near do anything to entertain them. I mean, you're talking about, you know, getting color, heat, you know, you want that crowd to buy in. And I think everybody kind of does it when you, when you get in there because you want to prove yourself uh, and everybody wants to do as well as they can, but specifically speaking about those guys, I think they did it for the love of the business and it was, it was a family business and who, that's who they are. I truly, that's who they are. That's um, we're going to wrap up, Steve. Uh, I'm going to let you go again. WrestleMania, you can watch tomorrow on ESPN. They're going to show WrestleMania, um, 32 in its entirety, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Last question, Steve. Uh, a friend asked me earlier, and I was almost taken aback. It was almost like too much for me to answer. Um, she has zero interest in wrestling, does not get it, has never tried to get it, and asked me, what do you love about it? And I'm almost so in it at this point that I hadn't answered it in a long time. I'm just curious for you. What do you love the most about professional wrestling? Man, like right now. Oh, you, you broke up a bit, Steve. Sorry. No, like in, yeah, there was a... in general, your passion. Like when you think about what you're most passionate about, what is it about wrestling? Man, to me, it's just taking a crowd on a ride. I mean, because you're, you're, it's truly, you're trying to work people. I mean, and, you know, this is before, everything, you know, everybody knows the business doesn't work, but you're trying to get people to buy in and to be good enough and to be over enough from a character standpoint with, with, within the angle of which you're, you're shooting and the person with which you're trying to work with. There's so many things going on and you're trying to create the perfect mix of, of chemistry and storytelling to take the people on a ride that they get so invested in that they're, they're stomping their feet, they're clapping their hands, they're yelling, they're throwing stuff at the ring. It, it, it's, it's the adrenaline. It's, it's love, the passion and the adrenaline. Um, that does for me. Hey, Steve, I appreciate you taking the time. You are the coolest name I have in my Rolodex. I appreciate you always. And I hope to see you down the road. Hey man. Uh, catch everybody down the road and everybody stay safe out there. Do your social distancing thing. It's a shooting. And man, we got to work through this. And, and, uh, man, to all you guys over in New York, Peter, y'all, uh, y'all, y'all be careful over there, man. I know it's, it's a, it's a hotbed over there. So it is what it is, but we're all in this together. Hey, you heard it from Stone Cold. This whole thing is a shoot. The coronavirus is a legitimate shoot. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. I'm definitely staying home and being safe. You do the same in L.A., and uh, I hope to see you soon. There he is. Thank you, Peter. Make sure you go follow him, Steve Austin BSR on Instagram. Go follow him right now. Follow me, Rosenberg Radio, on Instagram. And without any further ado, we're going to keep this thing moving. Um, after Steve Austin, i got to have another star. You know, you got you can't just that's – one, that's one kind of star, one kind of American hero. One kind of American icon, if you will. But we'll go to a man from South Texas, to a, a beautiful man from Queens. Um, <laughs> how do you follow that one? Man? How do oh, you? Oh my lord! Could you be any more honored to be on the same show with Steve Austin, bro? 
I got to be honest with you. He, I crafted my entire being, you know, after fucking Austin. No, hey, no f bombs. We're on the big channel today, okay? Oh, I thought this was still. Uh, no, this know, is ESPN's official. Buddies. This is ESPN's official Instagram. We're very commercial today, oh, Bam. Sorry, I'm very sorry about no, that. Um, now, do you remember his brief run in ECW? Of course. And you, and you were a real ECW fan. That was, you were. A, Big time. Yeah, you were the That's, real deal. That was my main. That was my main. ECW staying up two in the morning watching it on MSG, you know? And then you would go to Elks Lodge in Queens, on Queens Boulevard. 13 years old, my mother would drop me off. <laughs> I feel like, by the way, whenever you know? I talk to you about wrestling, I, I feel like a little kid who's like, hey dad, regale me with the stories of Elks Lodge again. Cause I, I, I love those stories. The fact that you got to go at that time, it was such an yep. iconic moment in wrestling. It was unbelievable. It and was unbelievable. Did you it, know it, it at I mean, the time? You could tell how crazy it was at the time. Like this is a moment. Yeah, because me and my boys were the only 13 year olds there. You know what I mean? Like, it was a little bit, it was more grown, you know? And there was some serious stuff going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Like, they had, I remember one time Al Snow, he brought all the heads out. He brought out all the strippers from Goldfingers, <laughs> which was a which A popular was a adult establishment. A popular adult establishment on Queens Boulevard Correct. in the late 90s, <laughs> early 90s, stuff like that, you know? So it was like, they were doing things that people were, you know, smoking a little bit of the you-know-what. Okay, yeah. I, you know, and this was at a wrestling event in a battalion hall, like, a, you know what I mean? Like a like a YMCA-type building. Now, did you also go to – I never asked you some things. Did you ever go to – um? did you go to big garden shows or big Nassau Coliseum shows as well? Yeah, I was at 10. Oh, you were at, at 10? I was at 10. You were at the ladder match? I was. I was. And I was also there for a couple of, like, they used to do those, the dark shows. Mm -hmm. House shows, yeah. You know, yeah, the house shows where you, they would just come to the garden. I remember we went to a couple of those. I was actually at the one where it was, uh, you know, Razor and Diesel's last one, and they came out. You know, they all came out oh, and broke, the, and the, they broke. The, the famous moment, the moment. The, I was there. The curtain call, as it's known. The curtain call, I was there. Wow. You I was were there for a lot of crazy stuff. You really were. You were at the ladder match between HBK yeah. and Razor at ten. It also yeah. had the, that also had the beautiful, the the incredible match between Brett and Owen. Of course. Then you got to see the curtain call at the Garden, which for people who've never heard the story, look it up on YouTube. You can find the stories about it, but it's a legendary moment. And then you got to have you know blood splattered on you and strippers sitting on your lap at the Elks Lodge. You did it all. Yeah, you had to stand in line early. You know, you'd buy general admission. This was the first couple of times, so you would get immediately get third row or second row. You know, so it was guaranteed someone was going to jump into the crowd. Sabu, you know, Tajiri, someone of that ilk. <laughs> so uh, first of all, so how are you doing? How? You seem like the kind of guy to me that, that could fare well during social distancing. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm amazing. I'm amazing during social distancing. It's just upsetting because you can't see the loved ones at this point. And, I, you know, I don't want to risk it, you know. So is your mom not able to see your kids right now? No one's able to really see each other. We're all in isolation. I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm reading all kinds of 5G stuff. I'm reading. I'm serious. Like, you know. It's crazy. And, and it's real deal. We are an electrical body. 
and all this stuff is pulling out all types of stuff from us that we, you know, it's all foreign bodies. You, you are someone who can have like, you have moments when you're rapping in which you paint very vivid pictures that are crazy and hard to understand how you got there. Did your brain ever envision a time this crazy? No. I mean, you always know that you're not in control. By the you're way, shout out to Alan there. the Chemist. I see you. Yeah, Alan. I just saw that also, young alchemist. The, a man who, I miss you. A man who I, I will not get a text or DM back from, but he he pops up in the chat when he I need him most. He changed his number. He changed his he number. He always changed his number. <laughs> uh, so you didn't picture this, though? You didn't picture anything like this? No, nah, I, didn't, I didn't picture this type. I mean, I, I grew up here. You understand that at some point with this many people, something's down to, you know, bound to happen. It's just to this capacity where it's crippled the nation and pretty much the world. It's, it's unprecedented, man. It's unprecedented. And, um, you know, we really don't know what the hell's going on. So I don't know what's up. I'm just chilling out for a little bit. I was planning on dropping my album within the next couple months. You know, I don't know if that's the best idea. I don't want to do a digital programming type of thing. At the end of the day, I had a lot of different types of gatherings scheduled. Well, wasn't it, was, a lot oh, of yeah. things that contingent on gatherings because I like to do things with people. That, that's like I mean, make it, ice cream. Yes, like have this, have that, have little art shows, have little parties and listenings. So this is kind of cramping my style, but you know, I don't. You know, at the end of the day, you just got to chill out, chill out for a second. Are you making beautiful Listen. art? I'm making art, but my studio is elsewhere from my house, so it's hard to get over there and like wait. So you without make, an argument. Wait, so real quick, you you make your your visual art in the same place that you make your audio art? Is it all in the same place? Yeah, it's my it's my think tank. It's my one stop right. shop. I haven't been there yet. This sounds like a glorious <clears> place. <throat> it's a great studio. You have to come by. It's in it's in somewhere, and you should come by. <laughs> <laughs> um. So wait, so do you have any, so if you want to record at home or do art at home, you can just do like a very basic dumbed down version of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm drawing a lot on my iPad, which is good. It's a good, it's a good digital sketchbook. Uh, also got pen and paper, like a caveman, you know, I'm watching a lot of UFC. I'm watching from, from one all the way. Oh, you're you know? starting at the beginning? I mean, I've seen all of them. I had them, I had them on DVD back in the day. So I saw you talking to my buddy Ariel Helwani the other day. Yeah, shouts out Ariel. Shouts to Ariel, and obviously that man knows more about it. It's it's it, it'll blind you how much that yeah. man knows about UFC. But I know he's a combat. He's a combat Rolodex. Yeah, he. It's insane. It's absolutely crazy. Um, who are you most into right now? Who's your favorite UFC combatant at this time? Well, you know, for me, it's more about it's the characters and. In, in, in UFC, the, the matchups are so magical. You know, these men have just worked their entire lives to fight. And you make a weight. You agree upon that weight. You make the weight and you guys fight. And it's just, it's, it's, it's live. It's, it's live theater. It's human art. Do you believe that Connor? I listen, I, I scheduled my entire tour around Khabib Tony. To be in, to be in Brooklyn, you know what I mean. Oh. So, I, like, it's such, it's such it's, a bummer. That was going to be such a day, and and also it was the it's, return of Thug Rose. It was going to be Thug Rose course. and Habib. It was going to be what a huge day, you know. And, and here, here we are. 
Yeah, so, I mean, who knows where that fight might be. That fight might be in Saudi Arabia. You think, knows where gonna you think Habib's the nicest in the world? I love, I love, you know, Habib is the nicest at his style. That's what makes everything amazing. Everyone brings a different discipline to the, to the octagon, to the ring that, you know, you're fighting Tony Ferguson who dances, you know, it's all about fluidity with him. Like he'll be spinning and hit you. And it's all about connecting moves and combos. It's like a video game with him where you've seen the last 10 competitors that he went against. He busted up their faces like street fighter. You know, with the continue button, they like everyone busted up real bad because he hits you with foreign elbows, knees, you know, crazy moves. How would you describe the physical look of Joanna Yerjechik at the end of her fight a couple of weeks ago? How would you physically look like? She looked like the guy from Goonies. <laughs> Rocky Road. Remember that? I remember it well. And I had, I, I like Joanna. She came on my show back in the day. The oh, she's great. Show. She's great. Yeah, but unfortunately, she came on my show and then she dropped the belt to Rose, Rose in the in uh, in Barclays. So I got her gloves. I still have her Himalayan salt from her when she was cutting weight. <laughs> she was eating very dry salmon and like cabbage with Himalayan salt. It was like, what's the, now, by the way, this is no way to live. <laughs> no, they go their their regiments are not. Normal. I'd like to know how to cut weight that that quick. Yeah, could you? Would you? Would you do it? I mean, if you could get it done in a month. I've already, I'm down 30. I'm down 30 right now. I feel amazing. What's your but I got to stop doing this. I go up 30. I go up 46. I got to just go down 100 and that's it. By the way, I, I, I really shouldn't say it here because they're not paying me, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to say it because I'm, it's, it's real. I'm really messing with the, uh, the Weight Watchers app, the WW app. Really, we can, we might be able to get some money out of them, both of us. We should, we should. Shout out to Funk Flex in the room, by the way. Funk, Funk Flex, Flex, who looks, who, speaking of looking trim, looks tremendous right now. Well, he does the 40 day reset. <laughs> See? That's a I know that from, Funk Flex is ingrained in my childhood, man. I don't want to hear anybody ever, ever, ever read a Western beef ad. Never. Funk Flex is the only one that he, he, he shaped our lives. Like it was an honor to be, you know, to have freestyles with him that people consider legendary freestyles in rap, you know? You know what? I, I've actually been thinking that recently, and I don't even know if Flex is still in the room, but I just want to say this. He's someone we need to give roses to right now. Like, Flex is always the subject of major conversation. He's he's controversial. People go after him. He There's a lot of things you can say about Flex, and he likes being controversial. It's part of his character. But if you're a true New York hip-hop head... You, I cannot even explain into words the level of importance for shaping our lives. I mean, at the end of the day, he was who we listened to, and that's you just remember. It's iconic times, sitting in the car, doing all. It's it's it was the soundtrack to our lives. You know, that's really what it was. Well, Ninety seven in general, like in the beginning, like you know, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. You know, when they were on in the mornings, used to love that. Starbuck Wild. You guys, you know, it was like generations of this stuff. It's what's your what's your favorite all time funk flex freestyle besides yourself? Uh, it's not. Def I mean, mine's fire. There's several, but the one with the Jets hat and the and the 
in the black trench. I was that's there. the one. I, that's the zone. I mean, I that's... came there to damage. <laughs> I came there specifically for damage. <laughs> my favorite funk flex free, my uh, funk flex freestyles were when Dipset would go in. You know, I love hearing the Dipset freestyle when they let Jr. Ryder just go for like said flex. I just turn him off like yo, chill. Turn. He's just doing too much. Go, no, Jr. was getting his. Jr. was getting his. That's yeah. the job of the Jr. Ryder, like the guy who's in that spot. You need to, when you're yes. there, go in. He's the go-in man. He He's went the go-in in. man. You know what, Young As, Buck, you got to go in. Like if, I mean, Young Buck was there to, you know, he was, they're all, the G-Unit were there to do damage. They did. By the you way, know? Young Buck is very slept on. At, at his best, Young of Buck course. is very nice. Of course. A lot of Southern, like, man, B-Jizzle, B-G, one of the most fire. B-G right you know? now, B-G right now would be so scorching hot when you look at the That's pop. That's what I mean. A lot of that stuff. For you, it, it, come on. It's, if it you look at the popularity of, of Lil Baby right now and cats like that, yeah. who, who, by the way, I think Lil Baby's nice. But if with guys like that who are so popular, BG in this era would be. Well, listen, um, Bam Bam. Uh, I hope we can do this again. Um, it's been amazing, man. Thank you for having me on. Anytime appreciate I do anything you, ever, you're always there. I love you for it. I appreciate you. And um, be safe. And we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk wrestling and UFC again soon. Okay. You're a beautiful man. Thank you, Bronson. Take care. Bam Bam Baklava on Instagram. His name is Action Bronson. My name is Peter Rosenberg. You can follow me at Rosenberg Radio. A lot of wrestling content, a lot of hip-hop content. Um, also, of course, my podcast, Cheap Heat. Um, make sure you go check the Cheap Heat podcast if you're a wrestling fan. That's the uh, part of my wall where they're trying to get the gas fixed. It's a long story. Um, but if you're a wrestling fan, I hope you'll check out the podcast. And more importantly, I hope you'll tune in tomorrow night, 7 p.m. on ESPN, the full encore presentation of WrestleMania 32. The next week, next Sunday, 3 p.m., WrestleMania 35 in full to get you ready for WrestleMania, which is going down uh, next Saturday and Sunday on the WWE Network. I appreciate you guys. We'll be back. We'll do some more WWE content like this soon. If you're out there, be safe. Don't go outside. Do not need to chill outside. I, I can really only talk about New York. If you are in New York right now, please stay at home and chill. Social distancing is real. We will get through this. I appreciate you all. Be easy. It's professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. At this time, I would like to in the corner to my left, the majesty, sweet, sweet Peter Rosenberg. And then I went to makeup and like sat in front of the mirror a little bit and got myself together. Also, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I would like to introduce. Shout out to that guy, Greg. Bret Hart is the greatest professional wrestler in the history of the art form. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.